How's that? There we go. Okay. Well, I, I, um, I'll say thank you again for everybody being so patient uh, in the midst of all this. The, um, I know what I did there. Okay. There we go. Yep. It's just a little bit of a short. Okay. Um, there were moments in all of this uh, change up with everything that was going on and scheduling things that um, there was just no way I could see ahead it seemed like uh, for you know for more than maybe a day or a couple of hours at time oh, I'm really I don't know what I'm doing okay well anyway um, I just appreciate all of you for stepping in and making the best of it and uh, I, hopefully now I've worked things out to where uh, my sister and I are managing some of this care right now until Dad gets better, and it is a slow recovery. Uh, I'm sure he'd like to speed it up, but, you know, you, you, you get what you get. And uh, those of you who've been through this or have had a family member go through this are very helpful. And yet I'm learning, too, that everyone's path of recovery after that. They call this surgery a cabbage, uh, coronary artery bypass graft. And so they would all talk about cabbage. And, um, and so that was, um, that was one of the things I learned. But I'm learning, too, that everyone has their own experience with this as well. But right now, I'm, I'm getting Sundays and Mondays to be my time where I'm back home, Beth covering some of the other days, and, uh, or those days, and then I'm covering midweek stuff where it's easier for me to, uh, to work remotely, and we'll just... We'll just take it a bit at a time. But the last couple of weeks, um, excuse me, the last couple of weeks uh, have been tough because the, our, our schedule was determined by the hospitals. I mean, it was just whatever. You, it was a lot of hurry up and wait. That's what we went through was hurry up and wait. And, and they would move us from one room to the next. Now, don't get me wrong. They were great. They were fantastic. But, you know, the... The recovery and the needs of what's going on up there uh, is what demands your schedule. So I knew that I had to be right there, and, um, and I'm glad that I was on a couple of occasions because um, we're managing a lot of different things. So anyway, keep us in your prayers, and I appreciate that, and I want to encourage you. But now I think we've at least got some forward planning, which, by the way, next week... What we'll do here next week is we will do the cocoa and carols. So invite your friends, invite family members, and I think this is going to be a, uh, th th this is not just a children's ministry event or a, a young families. This is the, th we have in mind the entire church participating in this, and I think it's going to be a very cheerful and good and positive experience. So uh, we should get some encouragement from that. Um, I'm hoping to find out more about it this week uh, while I'm on site. Well, what else do I want to tell you? Um, hmm? That's a good question. When does it start? Five? Five? Okay, five. So if you come at six, you'll be coming right into the middle of it. And, and I think it's all over at the gym, right? Or Yeah. See, this is good. You, you're, you're paying attention to that bulletin. That's been another blessing. Dina's taking over the bulletin and doing, 
far better than I was doing on that thing. So I want you to keep encouraging her on that, all right? Tell her that she's better than I am at it, all right? So just keep telling her that because you don't want to go back to me doing it. No, we don't want that, not at all. Fantastic. Anyway, thank you to everyone. I want to share with you a verse that, uh, am I missing anything else? Thank you for that help, by the way. Am I, am, okay. Yes, ma'am. So it's not so dark? Like you mean every Sunday? Well, hey, I've got no objection with that. Whatever everybody else wants to do. Uh, you know, that, so we've got, motion's been made, 4 o'clock. Y'all talk, um, you know, this is, I'm, I'm open to anything. I mean, whatever works best for everyone. Uh, thanks, Paula. That's a good suggestion. I like that. So. Y'all see if, we'll see if that has any wheels on it, and we'll, we'll see if it goes anywhere, all right? So, yeah, you, you just keep, you keep pushing it and, and, and crane, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're fighting inertia on that, though, you know, I mean, everybody else, it's like, you know, the cows show up at the trough at six, I mean, it's just, you know, but, but hey, listen, that's innovation, so think about that, I kind of, well, there you go, yeah, you know, hey, you know, folks. I'm open to anything. You tell me, but let's consider that. Um, all right, let me, let me, I want to share with you a verse that's meant something to me, 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, I, by the way, I also, I'll, I'll, you know, not right now, but in the future, if you'll give me some suggestions of things that you would like to do, especially in January, you know, we've got some scattered dates here because we've got Cocoa and Carols, and then we've got... Uh, pre-Christmas, pre-New Year's, and, but in January, I think we can start actually doing some longer-term studies, and if there's something you're interested in, let me know, but this is what I've been living with uh, for a few weeks. The whole time that Karen and I first got this news, we were in Europe, things changed on us, this verse just kept ringing out in my head, my heart, and I think it's why it's this is another one of those examples of why it's good for us to know Scripture because you, you learn it, and then when you need it, it shows up. It shows up, and it starts to comfort you and teach you and direct you. So here's Paul, and, and I, I'm going to admit, I'm, uh, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians is a book that, that I'm not that familiar with. I'm not... I, I, I still wonder, and maybe I'll do a study of this one day, but I wasn't ready for it right now. But 2 Corinthians is just such a unique book. It's, you know, I, I still try to make sense of it at times, but you can tell that there are moments when he is reflecting on what it means to be a minister, what it means to be a missionary, what it means to be a messenger of the gospel. And I really do think that in 2 Corinthians, he has opened up his heart to these people after these back-and-forth dialogues where in 1 Corinthians, I mean, he has got it all set. I mean, he just, 1 Corinthians is just so finely organized. It's like, okay, you've asked about this. Here's the answer. You've asked about this. Here's the answer. Now, I've heard about this, and here's what I want you to know. And then he wraps it all up, and he gets to chapter 15, and he says, here's the gospel, first importance, and then wraps the letter up. Oh, it's just so perfectly organized and well-made. 2 Corinthians is just 
It's kind of like me tonight. It's just, hey, here's what's on my heart. Boom. You know, and he just, and he just kind of pours it out there. But it's still just as genuine and true. And he moves around from these topics, but uh, you, you really see him saying some things and writing some things that have deep meaning. So in, in, in chapter 4, he's redefining weakness and imperfection and saying that that doesn't make him or any of the other messengers of the gospel less qualified to speak the gospel or share the gospel. In fact, it shows that the qualifications all come from God. And it's verse 8 that I was carrying around with me. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And I think it's the the um, the poetry of that verse that was helping me because every time that something new would come along, some unexpected setback or something that we we couldn't foresee, you know, uh, in in just in just all of it, you know, my father's health, my mother's reaction, uh, our plans, uh, our inability to do what we needed to do or to be where we wanted to be. I kept thinking, you know, when people would ask me, how do you feel right now? And they would say, how are you doing? And I had no answer. I mean, I didn't know really sufficiently how to answer that. Because to say, well, I'm fine wasn't true. But to say, I'm doing terribly, that's not true either. It was neither one of those. Uh, How could I say, oh, I'm doing terrible? One thing is, is that just gets you into dramatics. Oh, life's terrible. Oh, life's horrible. It's this, it's that, you know. It's, uh, and, and that's whining, and I don't have much patience with that. Uh, the, uh, Fred Craddock is one of my favorite preachers, and he has this um, little statement. He says, there's no way to modulate the human voice so that whining is acceptable. I love that statement. And I saw another one that's really good, too, because... Um, uh, it, by the way, you can get the T-shirt at Walmart. That's where I saw this. And it said, uh, I'm going to cancel my subscription to your issues. And uh, I, love, I love that shirt. You can get me that for Christmas. Anyway, the, um, with that, that, that was perfect. And, and I think that I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to say things were because they weren't. But I didn't want to lie and say everything was just fine either. And so this verse showed me a way to say, well, okay, this is true, this difficulty But this is also true. And so look at what Paul does with that. We're hard-pressed on every side. That sounds like a rough situation, being hard-pressed. But we're not crushed. So he admits that it's tough, that that we're under a lot of pressure. But we're not crushed. So both of those can be true. You can find yourself in the pressure cooker you're making it. Uh, then he says, we are perplexed. We're confused. Oh, now this one really got to me. I mean, this one, I understood this one, you know, that, that sometimes when you're in a crisis situation, when you're in a difficult situation, even when you're in a long-term difficult situation, there are a lot of things that you do not know. And if knowing things helps you process life, if you're that sort of person, and I am, 
not knowing things can be very difficult. And so, yeah, I would use the term perplexed. But just because I don't know doesn't mean that there's reason for me to despair. And Paul says we're perplexed, we're confused, we're, you know, you just think of everything that that word perplexed means, such a wonderful word, perplexed, and uh, you feel perplexed when you say the word. But, he says, there's no despair, because he's he's got a knowledge that transcends the limitation of his ability to know the things of this world with certainty. And later on, he'll say that there are some things that he knows with certainty that carries him beyond that. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. So even when we have uh, people go against us, well, God hasn't abandoned us. We're, we're not really abandoned. And, and even our, uh, our, our support team, the people that, that we love, the people who share the faith with us, they don't abandon us either. We can't change some realities. But that... But there's other realities that do not change because of God. And that's why you go back to verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And there's his image of the treasure, the power of God, in an old fragile jar of clay. uh, That this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. I mean, he might be saying, you know, that we um, we have this incredible value, this incredible wealth, this incredible power. And it's been stuffed inside of a plastic uh, Walmart bag. You know that's us, but we still it carries it around. Um, it's a treasure. So because of that, because he has that, then no matter what's going on in his fragile existence, there are some realities, and that's why he can say, "We feel this, but we are this. We feel this, but we are this. We are." Um, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but we are not crushed in despair, abandoned, or destroyed. And by the way, it's interesting that the second column is always a negative. What he's saying is, because he could have said, think about it, he could have said, we're hard-pressed, but we're filled with hope. But he doesn't do that. He could say, we're hard-pressed, but we have strength from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give a positive. It's interesting in the second column, he describes that as a negative to say, yes, we're experiencing this, but the worst-case scenario is not going to happen because of God's love, care, protection, power, and spirit. So we're not crushed. We're not in despair. We're not abandoned. We're not destroyed. Because if any of those things were real, then yeah, hope, hope would be lost. And that's what kept me going uh, during a, a very trying time here because I could say, well, okay, this is how I feel right now, but I know that the worst isn't going to happen. Not yet. Now, Paul goes on and he talks about their their ministry and their mission and how they continue on even though it's difficult and there's a a few other things I want to point out to you in verse um, 13 he says it's written I believed therefore I have spoken since we have the same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you 
to himself. Here Paul is expressing the idea that that the power behind the resurrection is still at work in us in this world. When we celebrate the resurrection, when we remember the resurrection, when we remember what God did in Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead and exalting him and his spirit and his power continues, it keeps us focused on the fact that that same power is at work among us. God doesn't have a special reserve of power that he holds back and only uses it in the case of you know, the cross or for Jesus. God's power is the same. And he says that, that power is the power that, that, that dwells in us like old broken up jars of clay. So God's power that raised Jesus is the same power that's working among us. If we'll keep that in mind, I mean, just think about how many options that gives us that we often forget about because we're so conditioned to think in terms of only the options that the world gives us, our own ability gives us, or the resources that we have in hand gives us, and we're limited. We're always going to be limited. Even if we compare ourselves to others and say, oh, we've got a lot more advantages than people around the world, maybe that's true. But still, compared to God's resources, we're limited. But that same power is at work in you and I. And he says, but the, the, the purpose of it is for the benefit of others. He said, all of this is for your benefit so that the grace that's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Whatever's going on with us, there's some way that we want to hand that over to God so that he gets glory out of it. And that's redemptive. Um, if, if God can get glory out of all this, then, then his cause is not undone. Uh, when we were talking to uh, uh, Gina, when we picked her up, and we had just you know, the briefest time to converse with her, but we were thinking about the fact that before we left, there were people, some of you, you know, were praying fervently that, that the laws of the Bulgarian government that's going to be so burdensome, perhaps, on, on uh, religious freedom that that they wouldn't pass. You know, we prayed fervently. Don't let that pass. You know, we do something, God. Well, it didn't happen that way. They passed those laws. Nobody's really sure what's involved in it. But one thing became clear. Whatever is going to happen, God's going to get glory out of this. And one of the stories I love that Gina told me was she said that after this happened, you know, and she's made friends with a lot of different people, and it's real easy to make friends with people in Bulgaria who are going to tell you straight up that they're atheists. They've grown up in an atheist culture. Uh, they're not being rude. They're not being antagonistic. It's just what they've come to know. It's their reality. But some of her friends who do not share faith in God or even readily believe in God have told her, what the government's done to you Christians is wrong. Now, how about that? How about that? The people who don't even believe in God have said, we don't like what they've done. Now, maybe God's going to get glory out of that. Maybe that's going to be a way in which, you know, they see the, the, the attitude and the, they see these people who are about to be perplexed, hard-pressed, persecuted, but they're not going to go and scream all over the place saying, we're destroyed, we're undone, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're abandoned. No, they're just going to keep doing what they're going to keep doing. 
By the way, another point in all that, we found out also that uh, as we're learning about some of this, that uh, these this same similar set of laws were passed two years ago in Russia. So we don't know what that means. Um, might be the kind of thing where they can pass the law, but they can't really do anything about it. We'll see. God's going to get the glory out of it. That's the thing. And here's Paul's summary. You look at verse uh, 16, and he has said the same thing back at verse 1. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Now, it's because they've been given this ministry, because they've been given this privilege of being his agents in the world. And it's costing them, but it's a privilege and they don't lose heart. And then in 16 he repeats it, we don't lose heart. Remember the sermon from this morning, if you didn't hear it, you can look it up online, is that being encouraged means that we're being given our heart. Our heart is being strengthened. Our inner core is being strengthened. We're being built up inside. That's our heart. We don't lose heart. Why? Because we know that God's given us this ministry. And if God's given you a ministry, he's going to make sure that you have what you need to have to do it. Now, I'm, I'm not just talking about people like me who are in the ministry. I'm talking about all of us. We have all been given some ministry working alongside people in the, the, the hospital who were taking care of my father and, and, and all, all of what was going on there, I learned that there are people in the medical profession that they have a ministry. And I've learned that so many of you have ministries and the things that you're able to do. And don't discount that. Don't, don't give in to the negative thinking that says, well, I have nothing to contribute. Well, okay, well, let me just say this. You know, you know truth is, you probably don't. But God has put some treasure in you, you the little clay jar that you are, and that's your ministry, and it's been given to you for the benefit of others. So it's there, and, and you, can, you can take comfort in that, and you can be happy about that. Uh, and uh, then he concludes all this, this, this idea of not losing heart, with this very interesting statement that I had to read a couple of times because we can pass over it so quickly. And lose the impact of it. Look at verse 18. Okay, so we're going through all of this. He says our momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory. And that outweighs everything. You know, we can get stuck on that one and say, oh, you know, this too will pass. And it's just a momentary thing. I know, but sometimes I, I have the, you know, I was, <laughs> I was telling my dad just to encourage him. I said, you know, dad, everybody says, you know, this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint, you know. And I could tell it wasn't helping him. And, 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 uh, and I said, but remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And he said, so what? They're both races and you get worn out. And I was like, okay, okay. And I, I know where that comes from because I'm just like him in that. It's like, yeah, this too will pass. But right now it's not. And I got to have something to get me through right now. And, and you know, so you read a statement like this that uh, our light and momentary troubles are achieving. it. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but right now. I'm experiencing that light and momentary trouble, but it's the next verse that does it for me. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Okay, okay, that sounds great. A little mystical, a little too weird and spooky for my taste too. But why? Why fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen? Because what is seen 
is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. You and I have been conditioned in the world that we live in because we live this side of the age of enlightenment. We live this side of the age of common sense realism. You and I have been conditioned to trust in our five senses and to believe that the tangible things of this world, the things that we can touch, that we can see, that we can hear, smell, taste, control, manipulate, work on, that those are the things that matter and fix it, fix it, fix it now. And Paul has just said, all of that that you're trusting on is not lasting. It's temporary. It, that's the unreal stuff. That's the stuff that won't last. And yet, we're conditioned to regard that as the stuff that matters most. We're conditioned to regard that as the stuff that is within our realm that we can control. And Paul says, no, it's quite the opposite. That this 98.6 and breathing world that you and I live in, this is the temporary reality. The things you can't see, that's what will last forever. That's the eternal. That's the everlasting. And not just disembodied, but that's the stuff that endures. And see, Jesus, after the resurrection, has entered into that eternal existence. Now, I don't mean eternal, uh, you know, transparent, see-through, ghostly. He obviously had a body. Look at the resurrection accounts. He could eat. He could feel. They could touch him. They could see him. He was there. But it was an eternal existence. Paul's just reminded us that because of the resurrection, our categories must change. That we are putting things in the everlasting category that don't belong there. And we're putting other things, you know, we're, we're, we're taking the eternal things and we're putting them in kind of a, a misty, maybe, what if, pie in the sky, hope kind of a category. Paul says, okay, get your categories Realigned. You, you've got to resort all this. Um, you know, if you want to see a, 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 a good film someday, there's this film about C.S. Lewis called Shadowlands. And C.S. Lewis has this um, statement in the, in the play. It's based on a play and it's a movie. And he says that this world that we live in right now, this, these are the Shadowlands that real life hasn't begun yet. That we tend to look at this as the real and then still we're conditioned, even though we know, even though you and I can sit here and talk about it, we know, no, heaven's real, we know it's real, we know all of this is going to be real. And yet we're conditioned to think of this as the imaginary or the immaterial or the unseen, and then somehow it becomes less real. One more thing from C.S. Lewis to get you thinking. He, he wrote a story called The Great Divorce. It has nothing to do with marriage and divorce. It has to do with heaven and hell. Um, so why is it called the great divorce? Because it comes from a line from classic literature where there's a divorce. Between, there's this great divorce, this great divide between uh, heaven and hell, heaven and earth. You know, that they're, they're divided. They're separated from each other. Well, anyway, it's a little parable. And in the parable, what they find out is they go to heaven on a bus. It's a parable. And they go to heaven on a bus. And they find out that heaven is more real than real. That it's super real. And it's so real that the earthly people who go to visit it, the blades of grass are so real that it hurts their feet, even through their shoes. I mean, that's how real it is. And hell is not this, this, this uh, 
big, looming, large, you know, nasty, menacing place. But in fact, in heaven, it becomes nothing more than a crack in the sidewalk. And it's, it's like what it amounts to is sad and disappointing and unfortunate. That's the overwhelming reality of heaven that's breaking into our world, that it's going to be more real than real. One of the moments that came out of this, too, was um, Ethan and I got to talking after one of these days when we went up to help them, and he was talking about heaven and what comes next, and we were talking about it, and the, you know, the idea of going to heaven like you know, and again, this is a 20-year-old's theology, and yet I, I respect it. The idea of going to heaven sounded a bit like a trip to Disneyland. And, you know, and he was like, you know, he's gotta be, he said, there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more to it than that. And I said, there absolutely is more to it than that. And he and I got to talking about it. And I'm telling you, it's like we were getting stirred up. We were both stirred up. We said, you know, you, you know, you know what we're on, son? I said, we are on this grand adventure where the kingdom of heaven this, re- this super real reality is breaking in, and it's changing the categories that we've come to know. He was like, I- I'm excited now. And I said, good, good. I said, this isn't me. I said, this is stuff I had to learn at your age too. And Paul's expressed it so well. We're hard-pressed, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. You know why? Because we're already living in the, into the super real reality that is the kingdom of heaven. So let those thoughts encourage you. I hope they've encouraged you like they've encouraged me. And um, let's change our categories. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would give us every day a glimpse of the heavenly reality, which is far more than just the reward for the faithful or the, uh, the vacation that we've always wanted. But, Father, it is the kingdom reality that's breaking into a broken, unreal world every day, that we're getting closer to it every day, that this clay jar reality that we live in, this clay jar existence that we live in, is going to give way to the resurrection reality that we have glimpsed in Jesus Christ. And Father, keep us going when we're hard-pressed and perplexed, when we're uh, feeling persecuted, and when we're stressed. Father, help us to know that the reality is the eternal things cannot be snuffed out by the worst troubles in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song. If you need to partake of communion, that's right back here in this room. And then after that, Lee will dismiss us in prayer. Let's stand and sing.